Uh, this morning we are on the fifth week, fifth Sunday, of a sub-portion of our discipleship series. We've been talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and the last four weeks, and now with this Sunday, we'll conclude asking the question, of what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus and worship? Uh, that's what we've been looking at. We're going to wrap that up this morning. We're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. In just a couple minutes, we're going to look at the first nine verses, in particular verses 4 through 9. And we're going to talk about what it means to, to teach worship to the next generation. So if I were to give you the sermon in just a sentence, it would be this. Because God is kind and gracious to us, our worship of Him is to be practiced in front of and passed on to the next generation. Say that again. Because of His kindness, His grace, our worship of God is to be practiced in front of and passed on to the next generation. Now, some of you are maybe like Cindy and I, we're almost empty nesters. We're right on the verge. Jordan's a senior in college, so he may come home for a few months, but we think we're, you know, we're right on the edge of, of being empty nesters. And some of you may be like that, or some of you may be younger and either single or married but not have kids yet. And all of those folks may be thinking the same thing. Well, I can kind of think about the Cardinals game and what the lineup should be. I don't have to pay attention to the sermon because we're, you know, we're either past the parenting stage or, or, or we haven't started the parenting stage yet. What we're going to talk about is not just parenting, but how every disciple, every follower of Christ is called to be part of teaching the next generation what it means to be a worshiper. And we're going to see that in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 6 as, as Moses delivers God's word to the entire nation of Israel. And that is absolutely crucial. So it's for everybody this morning. Uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine who comes here to Green Tree a couple weeks ago, and he had gotten into a little argument with, it was his daughter's either in sixth or, I think she's in seventh grade, uh, over not having homework to do. And he knew that every night she had some amount of homework. And he said, well, surely you have homework in your Bible class. She goes to Westminster. And uh, she said, I don't have any homework. He says, you have homework every night in that class. She said, I don't, Dad, because all I have due tomorrow is I have to be able to write down and order the books of the Bible. And I've known that since second grade in Mrs. Rolfe's second grade Sunday school class at Green Tree. So I don't need to do this homework. And I heard this story, and, and he kind of cracks a smile, and he said, it's really, you know, that's really a blessing, isn't it? I said, well, yeah, I know, you know, under trying to raise our kids and, and communicate with them. But yeah, that is a blessing, that you go to a church, that we get to go to a church where children are taught the Word of God. But it's not just about getting out of homework. It's not just about head knowledge. It's about what it means to actually be a worshiper of God. So that's what we're going to consider this morning. We're actually going to look at what uh, is called the Shema, and maybe you've heard that phrase before, that title before. This is actually one of the most important passages in the entire Old Testament, as God speaks to his people and gives them his words of life. The Shema, Shema Yisrael Adonai, Eloheinu Adonai Ehad, which means, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And from that flows the lesson of worshiping God. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, hear the word of God. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that's Moses is speaking here, that you may do them in the land to which you go over, going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's sons, by keeping all his statutes and his commandment, which I have commanded you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long, 
Hear therefore, O Israel, be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, uh, as the, excuse me, as the Lord of as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk about them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To Him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, as we come to worship you this morning, in the midst of our lives, our, our families, businesses in which we work, or the, um, relationships we have with neighbors and friends, uh, commitments to our community. Father, we, uh, we need a time of, of quiet reflection on your word. Lord, we, we live in a noisy world. We live in a, a world filled with messages of every shape and size. And so, Father, sometimes we are uh, distracted from what is truly most important. And as disciples of Jesus, you call us to be a, a people of worship, not just on a, in, a, in a room that we call a sanctuary or a chapel or a worship space, uh, but every moment of every day. And Father, you, you call us to pass that on to the next generation. Lord, as we baptize our children here at Green Tree, we take a vow that we'll do all that is within our power to the end that these children may one day confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. But Father, we need your spirit and your word to guide us into, into that worship and do lives of worship that, that honor you and glorify you, that rest in your grace and in your mercy, not in, not in our own uh, concocted self-righteousness. Uh, we need to learn uh, the humility of worship, that we would honor you, and that we would love one another well, and that we wouldn't be a people of, of selfishness or a people of uh, the world, that we, that we think and act as if this were all there were. And yet those are the messages we hear constantly. So, Father, I pray that you would move what is, what is not true out of the way and that you would speak your truth into our lives. Lord, what I say is irrelevant. It's not important. Only your eternal word will change our hearts and our minds and our lives. So we pray for that. Lord, forgive me for my sin. Don't let me stand in the way of what you want us to learn and to know about you this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Before I go into this passage, I want to take you just very briefly uh, into Matthew 22 uh, and remind you that as we look at this text out of the Old Testament, uh, sometimes I, I, can be in, I can get a bad habit where I look more in the New Testament than the Old Testament. I think, you know, what really is said from Jesus' earthly ministry on is more important, and that really isn't accurate. Uh, and this is the case this morning where perhaps we would look at a passage like this, like the Shema, and say, well, that was really for Old Testament Israel, and not understand that really when God speaks his word, he speaks it to all of us. So what did Jesus think of the Shema? What was his opinion of how important it is for our being a worshiper of God as a disciple of his, uh, as well as how that would impact one another? And so Jesus was asked this question uh, in Matthew 22. He's, he's being tested by one of the the, the experts in the law who says to him, Rabbi, what is the greatest commandment? Now, 
It's almost like you would say, is this like a trick question? Because everyone who has studied the Mosaic law, everyone who is versed in the Torah, even casually, knows the first and greatest commandment. So there's nothing earth-shaking here. Jesus goes right to the Shema, and he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. But then Jesus gives an application. He says, and if you follow this first and greatest commandment, it will lead you to something else. And that something else is this. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So a couple of observations here before we we jump in to the Shema itself. The first is that we want to make sure we understand that there is a flow from God's word into my life, but then outward so that it affects the people around me. I can be a Christian and be an absolute jerk, but that doesn't mean it's right. I can be a Christian and not honor God in the way I treat other people, but that's when I'm out of fellowship with my Father. When I am walking with God, when I am trusting God, when I'm loving God and following Him, the second will be natural. I will love you better. The second observation I want us to just make is that our neighbor includes the next generation. So if we're going to love the next generation well, then we will teach our children well, that we will influence them to be worshipers of the Lord Jesus. So I just wanted to give that kind of as a, as a, side, moment, as a side observation before we jump in. So out of Deuteronomy chapter 1, and in particular we're going to look specifically at the Shema verses 4 through 9, how will we practice and pass on worship of God to the next generation? I have five observations. The first one is that we will hear. And we're going right to the imperatives that are in the text. Look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Shema actually means listen, hear, stop, pay attention. Do a, are you focusing in on me? I've told you before, and my mom is just sitting on the second row. As a kid, when I was all running around and doing crazy, she was trying to get control and tell me something important. She grabbed my face. <laughs> She'd get right up next to me and say, now are you listening to me? And that's what Moses is doing here. He's saying, listen, Israel, stop. Be still for a minute. What I'm getting ready to tell you is of eternal importance. But it's not just here like we're, like we're listening, like we can, we can say back what we heard, but it's listening with a certain type of attitude. It's a teachable spirit. It's the importance of actually listening to in, in order to eventually apply what we listen to our lives. So some of you may have had this experience before in, in, with your children or with a coworker or with a spouse where you're in a discussion and you look like you're listening, but you're not really, you're actually thinking of the next thing you're going to say, right? So you, maybe when you're in a disagreement and they're, you know, they're for the Cubs and you're for the Cardinals or whatever the case may be, and you're listening to them you know, talk their, their position, you're thinking the whole time while you look like you're listening, you're getting ready to give your rebuttal. <laughs> and Moses says, not here, <laughs> When, when you approach God, listen to him. Hear what he has to say, the one God. So it's a teachable spirit. It's a willingness to submit my life to God's truth. It's not just hearing, but it's also hearing in the context of understanding that what God has to say is infinitely more authoritative than what I have to say, and my life will, will be uh, submitted to his will 
instead of the other way around. God isn't here to serve me. I am here to worship Him. And teaching that to our children doesn't just mean giving words to them, not just you know, sitting down and passing on information, but it means living that out in front of them. Does my life in front of my children, and now as I'm getting older, my grandchildren, exhibit to them a person who has a teachable spirit? A person who longs to submit my life to God's truth. I have an eagerness for God's glory. Do they see that in my words as, or hear that in my words as well as see it in my life? I had a young man in my youth ministry years ago, 25 or so years ago, who took his Jeep and he drove it onto the country club golf course in the, in the little town where we lived, and he destroyed about six or seven of the greens on the golf course. And there was a huge uproar. This is a very small community of about 5,000 people, and it was quickly known by, you know, the next day who had done this. And he was a kid in my youth group, surprise of all surprises. And um, as I was talking with him, I'm like, you know, I'm not sure what's going on because he comes from a good family. His mom and dad seem, you know, really well put together. His dad's a deacon in the church. I actually get together with his dad every once in a while. I have coffee, and I, you know, I'd like to learn some from him. And what I found out was dad was one way in front of everybody else, but at home he was, he was an abusive alcoholic. He beat his kids. He beat his wife. Nobody ever knew that. And driving around and ruining those greens on the golf course, as wrong as that was, was really a cry of help, a cry of saying, I, I, have, a, I have a father who, who speaks one way and lives one way publicly, but is a very, very different person. And one of the first things this young man said to me was, Tom, you don't know my dad. Hero Israel. Stop and listen. Soak it in so that it actually transforms your life. How will I know if I'm hearing, if I'm listening? Well, look at the second imperative, the second lesson or the second call that Moses puts on us. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command to you today shall be on your heart. Moses says, Israel, if you listen carefully... He's saying to us this morning, disciples of Jesus, if you're listening carefully to God, you will learn of his glory and his grace, and your response will be a response of love. Because the word that God gives you, whether it's the Old Testament covenant promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whether it's the Mosaic law, whether it's establishing the kings and the kingdom and the line of David, whether it's the Old Testament prophets, or whether it's into the New Testament, the Lord Jesus himself, all that God gives us is the gift of a loving father to his children. I've read this passage so many times, but I think it's actually the first time I, I stopped and, and, and really saw this, that Moses says, be careful to, to listen to God, and if you listen, a natural reaction will be that you will love. Normally, when I, when I want my kids or when they were growing up and I want them to listen, it wasn't because I wanted them to love me. It was because I wanted them to obey me. And I wanted to make sure that my authority was not questioned. And I wanted to make sure that, that I was the ruler of the house and what happened, you know, happened the way I wanted it to happen. I would have much better off to said, you know what? I want to make sure my kids know that I love them. And that even if they disagree with my decision, they'll understand it comes from a heart of love. Find a commandment that God has given that hurts you or me. You can read the entire law of Moses, first five books of the Bible. You will never find a law that doesn't honor God and cause us to treat one another better. That's a gift from a loving father. 
And so as I hear, I will begin to love. I will begin to, to, to hold my highest affections and my best affections for him. And also notice the, the parts of my love. My love will be emotional. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. But it will also be with the deepest convictions of my life. Love God with all my soul. And it will also be with the greatest thinking that I can muster. Love the Lord your God with all your might. That's body and soul together. Jesus translated that into love the Lord your God. He included loving him with your mind. So as I worship God, I will worship God with my emotion. You guys know I can get emotional. You know I can, I can, I can cry a little bit. I was on a plane coming back from Denver this week. I had a meeting with our general assembly with a whole bunch of other uh, church planting pastors, and I was coming home, and I sat next to two people, and, you know, you kind of get talking, and eventually, they, you know, what do you do? And I was sitting next to these two guys, and I'm a pastor at a church, and one woman was uh, from a Jewish synagogue, and the other one was from a church of, of mind and science, and all she said was it's Oprah's church, and I didn't know Oprah had a church. I'm, I'm way behind. Um, I didn't hear about her ordination, but... Um, so we started talking about religion. We started talking about faith. And, uh, and at one point, the, the woman said, you're a little too funny to be a pastor. What you, how did you get to be a pastor? And I said, well, I'm just, I'm just shocked by how much God would love me. And she said, well, you know, you laugh a lot. Do you ever, you know, does it ever choke you up? I said, oh, yeah, <laughs> come to church Sunday if you want. You'll probably see me cry. I cry all the time because I just, I'm just amazed that God would love somebody like me that God would actually send his son to die for me. See, I'm starting to go, you know, you can hear it in my voice. We should get emotional in our worship, but should also be with the deepest of our convictions. I remember when I was, uh, just about three years ago, I was in a debate with a local uh, scientist who, who was working on stem cell research, and he was arguing for using uh, the tissue from aborted children for, to, to advance his research. And I, and I almost can't even say that and get my mind around what we were talking about. But I, I, I couldn't let it go, and, and, I, and I was trying to be gracious, and I was trying to be kind, but my, my worship was turning into a, a strident belief that if God is taken out of the equation, we're going to destroy the world. If, if God, if theology is not part of science, we're, we're, we're going to literally implode the planet. And he had no room for the idea that theology and science could actually go together. And I was, I was seeking to, I don't think I did a very good job, but my deepest conviction, I was trying to love God with all my soul in that moment. And the same is true with, with my mind, giving it all of the intellectual capacity I possibly have. Moses says, if you hear God, you will love God. Thirdly, he says, then what do you do with that? As a worshiper of God, as you hear him and you love him, then you pass it on. Look at the first part of verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You're going to give instruction. You're going to explain. You're going to, you're going to read to them what? About your knowledge of God, who he is, that the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We're going to teach them about his trustworthy character. Moses could point to God bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of a land of bondage, and taking them to a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses could point back to the Abrahamic promise, which in fact he does a few moments earlier in verse 3. He says, remember this, where God is going to multiply you greatly because of the promise he made to your fathers in a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses could look back to, to those promises. We can look back to the cross of the Lord Jesus and we can see God's commitment to our salvation, to knowing that we can trust his character even when our circumstances get difficult. Even when the challenges we face seem insurmountable, we know that God will not abandon us. Why? Because we are worshipers of God and we know his character is trustworthy and we pass that on 
to our children. We talk to them about his power. We talk to them about his glory. We talk to them about his kindness and his mercy, which I believe that this, this notion of teaching, this responsibility of teaching, means that all of us are students of God's Word. After all, how can you teach what you do not know? How can you share something that is, that is not deeply embedded in your own heart? I thought about this when I was thinking about the sermon. I've mentioned this to you before that mom used to sit in between our, our um, in the hallway in between our bedrooms and read the Bible to us at night until we fell asleep. And, and I think part of that was just wanting to, at least for me, see me lay down in one spot and be still for a little while and not, not move around. But there, the deeper meaning there was I want these kids to know the Word of God. I want them to, to have it indwell them and, and be part of who they are. You know, you fall asleep and you remember falling asleep, listen to stories of Noah build an ark and, and David, you know, fight Goliath with just some rocks and, and then David, the kingdom established and Daniel and the lion's den and all those stories and Jesus walking on water and Peter trying and sinking. You know, you, you hear all of those stories and what's going on there is that knowledge is being passed on to the next generation. We must be students of God's Word so that we can teach our children. We hear the Word of God. We love Him in response. We teach the next generation how to worship Him, and we do it in a practical way. Look at the second half of verse 7. My fourth observation is here. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In other words, you're going to have conversations about the practical things of life and how God's Word comes to bear on those circumstances and those situations. You're going to sit down and you're going to grab some milk and cookies or whatever, and we're going to chat. We're going to talk about how we apply God's truth to our circumstances. So moms and dads, sharing what's going on in your life with your children and saying, here's where we're trusting God. Teaching your children to pray alongside, you know, if you have a family member who's struggling with something, hey, we're going to pray for Aunt Susie or Uncle Bill or whatever because we want God to, to care for them. And to help them understand when you're frightened. And admitting that and saying, you know, we just need to pray because I, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And letting our children see us practically worship God so that it isn't just theory, it isn't just information, but it becomes application. Now, I know there's, there's a time for both. And I know as our children are younger, just developmentally speaking, they're like sponges and we need to give a lot of information early on. That's why our Sunday school classes with our little ones are geared towards helping them learn the Bible because it just gets soaked in there. They don't necessarily start reasoning quite yet when they're little teeny tiny, but we want to give them that information so as they get older, fifth grade, sixth grade, and certainly in the middle school and high school, and they begin to be able to reason. They, be, they, they can think uh, about things that, that are less concrete. They can begin to think in terms of theory. They can begin to think in terms of application. They have the material to use. They have the material to build their own house of worship. And remember this as we teach. Our children love what we love. Our children prioritize what we prioritize. And all of us need to understand that at Green Tree, every one of us, whether our children are still young or not. As we move into the future of Green Tree, we need to, as a church, collectively worship God in front of all the children of this church. And that doesn't just mean on Sunday mornings. It means in the choices we make in our lives. It means in the priorities we set in our lives because our children will set the same priorities we. It should not shock anyone who knows me at all that my boys grew up playing hockey. 
okay? That shouldn't be a surprise to anybody. It shouldn't be a surprise to anyone that my boys love to play golf. They're both incredibly better than me, but it shouldn't be any surprise. Why? Because those are a couple of my passions. Did they see me be as passionate about God? They seen my love for Christ and, and see how it applies to my marriage with their mom? Do they see how it applies to how I handle the finances of our home? Do they see how it applies to the way in which I treat neighbors or coworkers or employees? Teaching has an application. That application is talking. Talking to our kids about what it means to be worshipers of God. And the fifth and final observation in this text is, is Moses goes to a little bit of the metaphorical here. Uh, when he talks about binding and writing. Look at verses 8 and 9. You shall bind them as a sign on your hands or on, on your wrist, and you shall, they shall be as frontals between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Now, it's not entirely metaphorical because in Moses' day, people would wear uh, little wrist cards that, that had a, a symbol or an image that reminded them of uh, what was important to them in worship. And not just in, in ancient Israel, but there's, uh, there's evidence of this in, in ancient uh, Egypt and other parts of the ancient Middle East where this was a practice. You'd actually have a band that maybe had a couple of words that were written on it or, or symbols that were written on that you wore between your eyes that reminded you about your faith. So in a sense, Moses is being literal, but, but in another sense, he's saying, just put it where you can't miss it. So the door frame of your house, the door posts over, over, the, over the, the door as you go in, put it where you'll see it every day. If Moses were writing today, what would he say? Put it on the refrigerator, right? Put it in your, in your inbox. Put it, put it as the screensaver on your computer, okay? Put it where you're going to look at it every day. You're going to look in the mirror every morning while you're shaving. Put, put the Shema right there so you don't forget it. Just put it where you can't miss it. Why? Because we're prone to forget. Sometimes we want to forget because we don't like what we've heard. And other times we forget because we just get real busy and we get real wound up. But, but Moses understood, because he was inspired by the Holy Spirit, that it needs to be always in front of us, never losing sight of the weight and the dignity and the power of God's Word. I've been reading this last week again some in the life of, of Dwight D. Eisenhower. In particular, I've been reading about uh, his activity at the end of the war when the concentration camps began to become evidenced and uh, what he did to make sure that that information was preserved. I'm just going to read a little bit for you out of an article I've been reading. At the end of World War II, General Eisenhower made a decision to personally visit as many Nazi concentration camps as he could. He wanted to document the camps and their appalling conditions. Anticipating a time when Nazi atrocities might be denied, which that's happened in our generation, General Eisenhower ordered the filming and photographing of camps as they were liberated. The U.S. Army Signal Corps recorded 80,000 feet of film together with still photographs. Then uh, part of this article, we get a couple of firsthand accounts. And Louis Weinstein was was the chief liaison officer on Eisenhower's staff, and he writes about the first concentration camp they visited. He says this, I saw Eisenhower go to the opposite end of the road and vomit. From a distance, I saw Patton bent over, holding his head with one hand, his abdomen with the other. And I soon became ill. I suggested to General Eisenhower that cables be sent immediately to President Roosevelt, to Churchill and de Gaulle, urging people to come and see for themselves. The general nodded. And then this is a direct quote from Eisenhower. I have never felt able to describe my emotional reaction when I first came face to face 
with indisputable evidence of Nazi brutality and ruthless disregard for every shred of decency. I visited every nook and cranny of the camp because I felt it my duty to be in a position from then on to testify firsthand about these things in case there ever grew up at home the belief or assumption that the stories of Nazi brutality were just propaganda. That in and of itself gives me great respect for General Eisenhower. There are other things that he did that were pretty incredible. But that he would put himself through that for the, for the sake of the greater culture, for actually for the sake of, of you and me, because we have lots of folks that would like to deny that the Holocaust ever happened. And he would put himself in a position where he became physically sick because he knew we needed to remember. Now, I, there, there's a flip side to this for our word today, and that is things of ugliness can be easily forgotten, or we want to forget them just simply because they are ugly and they are awful. And they remind us of how incredibly broken the world is. But things of beauty can be forgotten as well. And would we be willing to say as individuals and as a congregation, I have looked in every nook and cranny of the Word of God in order to be able to testify to the next generation of His goodness, of His mercy, of His grace, of His compassion to people like me and Jesus? Would we be willing to give ourselves in that way so that the next generation will not be void of God's Word, either from an informational point of view or from an application point of view? Everybody at Green Tree knows, if you're a visitor, you're one of the few that don't know this. Everybody at Green Tree knows we're getting ready to embark. We've actually already started on moving into a new home, uh, to a new worship space. And the architects have been hard at work and have given us a lot of beautiful renderings, and there's one of them. Um, that you can see on the on the screen, and I really uh, believe that if we trust God in this, and if we uh, we follow this uh, pathway of generosity, which we're going to begin talking about a little bit uh, next Sunday, I believe that God will provide this home for us. But I will tell you this: that home will be completely meaningless and void of any significance whatsoever, unless in every one of our lives there is a house of worship for ourselves and for the next generation. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the, uh, for the Shema. Shema Israel Adonai, Eloheinu Adonai, Ehad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. Father, we thank you that you are the one God manifest in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that you reveal yourself to us gladly. You don't hide yourself from us. You are, you are not behind some mysterious shroud that we cannot find. You have shown yourself to us in the person of our Lord Jesus and in your word, your truth, and your testimony in the Old and the New Testament. And Father, as we learn to worship you, we pray that we would also learn to pass that on to the next generation. Father, I thank you that Green Tree is just chocked full of little kids. <laughs> and I, I thank you that we got to buy more donuts every Sunday to, to keep, them, keep them happy. Lord, I thank you that you've given us a next generation. A lot of churches don't have young people in them, and we do. And that's an amazing blessing. It's also an amazing responsibility. 
Father, don't let us fail at that. Don't let us miss that. We can miss other stuff. We, we, can, we can get the color of the building wrong. We can get the chairs wrong. <laughs> we can get a lot of things wrong. We can't get that wrong. So, Lord, whatever we do, uh, moving forward into the future, may every home at Green Tree, whether there's one person living there or, or half a dozen people living there, may each of those be houses of worship, houses and homes where we, we hear the Word of God and we love Him because of what we hear and we teach and we talk and we put it where we won't miss it for your glory and for our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us, please?